This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Galatians chapter 4, verse number, uh, we're going to start in verse number 19. Just taking a look at two verses here tonight. Very simple thought that Paul has. Paul's writing a letter to the churches at Galatia, probably five or so churches that he's writing to, to clear up false doctrine. Uh, Again, doctrine is a big deal to God. Uh, That's why many of the letters in the New Testament are written to combat false doctrine. Uh, 1 John written to combat uh, the false doctrine of Gnosticism. Uh, In this case here, the uh, Judaizers in these churches had muddied up the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in their opinion, wasn't enough to save a man from their sins. They also needed to keep the laws of, of, of Moses and the, the, Ju, uh, the Judeo, Judaic system uh, that they had as far as feast days or circumcision or things like that. Paul writes and says, nope, not the case at all. Jesus is enough. Why would you want to go back to bondage when you've been set free from your sin? We find ourselves here tonight, really just two verses we're looking at as Paul challenges them don't, don't go back to bondage. You've been set free from that. Galatians chapter four, uh, verse number 19, he says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again. And I want you to take a look at these next six words. Until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you until Christ be formed in you. Until Christ be formed in you. Growing in Christ's likeness should be the goal of every Christian. This is my goal in life, to be like Jesus. Now, none of us this afternoon could choose to be like Jesus if we wanted to and check it off of our list. This will be something that we strive for day after day. There'll never be the day that we get to check off the goal that we have become like Jesus Christ until the day that we see him face to face. This is something that we will continually search for, strive for, make great strides and have great defeats. This is, will be a peak and a valley for the rest of our lives. Many people begin the Christian life and think to themselves that the Christian life is a linear growth process. How nice that would be if it was always up and to the right. But what we often find is we have peaks and then we have valleys and then we have peaks and then we have valleys. But the net effect over time should be growing in Christ likeness. If you look back at where you were five years ago, you should be able to see growth appreciated uh, Didi's testimony tonight. She says, I look at the person that I was 10 years ago and I don't recognize that person. That shows growth in Christ's likeness. Uh, Angela and I often talk, the day that we got married, those two people that got married that day two decades ago, I don't even know who those people are because we're not the same people we were the day that we got married. Our priorities are different, our lives are different, uh, the things that drive us are different than they were in those early years. That's growth in Christ's likeness. This doesn't happen by accident. No one by default automatically grows in Christ's likeness. 
Nobody will just go day to day and skip their Bible reading and skip out on Christian fellowship and skip out on their prayer and skip out on uh, church attendance and skip out on uh, walking in the spirit and just automatically 12 months from now wake up and go, wow, I'm more Christ-like than I was this time last year. Oftentimes, we drift over time. So we drift unintentionally when we're not focused on being like Jesus. You're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna go, wow, how did I wind up here? How did I wind up so far from God? And how do I get back there? Getting back in a right relationship is, uh, is making a decision to walk with Christ. It requires intentionality. Growth requires intentionality on our part. And Paul says here, he says, uh, again, verse number uh, 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again. Paul says, the, the pain that I feel is like a mother giving birth. <laughs> and all the ladies say, Paul's a dude. What does he know about pain in childbirth, right? Really. But I think Paul's saying to himself, the pain that I feel is the most difficult pain that one could experience. And you're like little kids, and I'm like a mama giving birth and trying to raise these kids to be mature Christians. And he says, it's painful to watch. He says, I'm not gonna give up on you because I wanna see Christ formed in you. Keep your finger here in Galatians 4. We're coming back in just a second, but flip back to Romans chapter 12, if you would. Romans chapter 12 was our theme verse uh, two years ago. Romans chapter 12, verse number one. These two verses should be circled, starred, underlined in your Bible. You should commit them to memory. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here's what Paul says. If you give God everything that you have and you fully turn over your entire life to Jesus, that is the minimum requirements of a Christian. That is your reasonable service. Pastor, I read the Bible, I pray, I attend church, I'm in a cadet group, I'm growing in my walk with God, great. Minimum requirements. Pastor, I've given everything that I have to Jesus, great. You're just getting started in the minimum requirements, the reasonable service that's expected of you. But he goes on in verse number two and tells us how we continue to walk that path and be not conformed to this world. Don't be like the world. The word conform means to be pressed into the mold of. Don't be what the world wants you to be. Don't be a cookie cutter person in today's society, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, to be like Jesus, I've got to change my mind. I've got to change the things that's going on in my mind. And I can't just try to do better. I need my mind transformed changed into something that it is not currently. And how do I do that? It says that you may prove to be that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I find out what the will of God is and I focus my mind upon that. Again, I don't believe any Christian could ever go wrong by mega dosing on the word of God. I need the word of God at the ready at all times. But I wanna grow to be more like Jesus. Oftentimes we set ourselves up for failure because we compare ourselves with other people. 
well, I'm not like Joe at church. Joe at work, he's a hypocrite. He calls himself a Christian, but he's not really. But I'm not yet on Bob's level. Bob's like super Christian. I'll never be like him. He's like next level Christian. And we, we get off on this thing of comparing ourselves with other people. The Bible says that's not wise. Because I can always find somebody that's a crummy Christian to compare myself with, and that is pride. I can always find somebody uh, better off than I am in my walk with Christ and think, well, I'll never be on their level, and then I'm down on myself, which also is pride. But when I look to Jesus Christ, I can say, I'll never reach that level, but I'm going to try. I saw how he dealt with people. I saw how he treated people that did him wrong. I saw how he loved people that could never give anything back to him. I saw how he treated children. I saw how he treated sick people. I saw how he ministered to people and cared for them above himself. That's a model that I can follow. I'll I'll never reach it. I'll never be like Jesus, but I want to pursue Christ's likeness. And that's what Paul's saying here in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Turn back there if you would. He says, I'm just pained like a mother in childbirth because I want nothing more for you than for Christ to be formed in you. Oftentimes, churches get caught up and they give people a list of rules that they should follow to create Christ-likeness. Rules will never create Christ-likeness. Paul's saying here in this passage, hey, you can keep all the feast days if you want to. First of all, it doesn't save you. Second of all, it doesn't make you like Jesus. I just want you to be like Christ. One uh, theologian once said, love Jesus and live as you please. And the idea is if I love Jesus, I'm gonna love the things that Jesus loves. I'm gonna live how Jesus lived. And I don't need any rules or regulations to follow to figure out how to do that. I could give you a list of rules for good Christian living if you wanted to, but you can't follow man-made rules. You have to follow Christ. And I just wanna be like Jesus. Would Jesus be around people that were blaspheming the name of God and laugh at it? I don't think he would. Now again, I could give you a rule, don't listen to dirty jokes. That's fine, but you, don't, you miss out on the heart of who Jesus Christ was if I do that. I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna live like Jesus. When I look at my life in comparison to Jesus' life, I, I find great deficiencies in my own life. Um, I, am, I have always been very good at um, telling people stuff that they don't wanna hear. And so it's uh, kind of a gift that God's given me, I guess you could say. Hey, you probably don't wanna hear this, but here's how it is. Uh, and I, I love the Bible because the Bible is very black and white. Uh, and so I, I, I have no problem at all telling people, here's what the Bible says. If you don't like it, tough. Very easy for me. Love it, right? But you know what I struggle with? Mercy. You see some guy that's struggling to latch on to it. You see some guy that's really trying, but uh, he can't really put it all together. Well, here's what the Bible says. If you don't like it, Tough. If you don't like what this church has to say about the Bible, find a church that's easier on the Bible than this one. You know? That's not the heart of Christ. Jesus was merciful. Hey, come on. Let's talk about this. Let's reason this out. Let me hear what you got going on. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna come to your house today for a little bit. We're gonna chat for a little bit. Sit down and talk with him about that. Nicodemus comes to him scratching his head. I don't understand this. And Jesus says, how do you call yourself a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Let me break it down for you. You must be born again. Ah, can a man enter to his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus says, no, 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 man, you, you've missed it. He was compassionate with it. He was caring. He answered what would be considered foolish questions. Nicodemus claimed to be a ruler, a teacher of Israel who should have all the answers. 
but he took time with him. He loved him. And I look at that and I think to myself, oh, I'm such a loser. I want to be like that. I want to be approachable with questions. I want people to feel compassion. I want people to feel the love of Christ when I talk to them. I want people to know Jesus because they knew me. That's what I want. But to do that, I have to be like Jesus. Paul wanted that for this, this church at Galatian, uh, these churches at Galatia. You see, cultivating Christ like in others should be the heartbeat of every pastor. The word pastor literally means shepherd, one who guides people. Uh, the Bible sometimes refers to the church as the flock of God. It's a responsibility of the pastor to lead the flock of God and to shepherd them and guide them. That's the role of a pastor. And pastors could be put out of work if everyone was just like Jesus. We wouldn't need anybody to guide us because everybody would just be being like Jesus. But God's given us because we're flawed human beings. God has given us pastors, the Bible says, to guide us and shepherd us. The Bible says in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter number 40, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. <laughs> I met a guy one time who called, him, called himself a pastor. And here's what he said to me. Man, I love preaching. I love preaching. Man, I love preaching the word. I love preparing messages. I love studying for messages. Man, I love preaching messages. Man, he goes, I can sit and listen to myself preach after I've recorded it and just listen to it. Man, I love preaching the word. But man, I can't stand people. Man, they get on my very last nerve. Bunch of idiots that are in my church. They don't listen to a word that I have to say. I thought to myself, you, sir, are not a pastor. You are a preacher. And there's a difference. There's a difference between someone who declares the truth and leaves it out there and make up your own mind what you want to do with it, and one who comes alongside people and shepherds them and guides them. Hey, I see you're struggling over here. Hey, come on, catch up with everybody else. Hey, I've been missing you the last couple weeks. Is everything okay with you? Hey, I prayed for you this morning. Hope you have a great week. That's a part of a pastor who shepherds and guides people. And it should be the heartbeat of every single pastor that every single sheep under his care has Christ formed in them. That's the difference between a preacher and a pastor. Again, I, I, I don't want to uh, uh, say negative things about other churches or anything like that, but a church that's so large that there is no pastoral care in a church is not the type of church that Jesus intended it to have. I talked with somebody uh, several uh, months ago who'd come to our church from another church, and I said, um, oh, I was at XYZ Church for two years, and I left there, and I began looking for a church. I said, did you leave on good terms? And they go, well, I think so. I wasn't mad at anybody. I didn't say anything ugly, and I just kind of kind of left. And I said, well, did you talk with your pastor before you left? And she goes, I don't know how you would do that. And I go, what do you mean? Well, I attended church there for two years, and I never spoke to the pastor before. Like, ever? No, like, he preaches, and then he leaves. And I said, well, is there, like, an assistant pastor or something like that? And she said, yeah, but you can't get an appointment to talk with any of them. It's just you, you don't spend time with any of the pastors there. And I thought to myself, how can a pastor appropriately shepherd people that he does not know who they are? That's why who we call a Baptist church is the worst place in the world to come if you want to be anonymous and don't ever want to know anybody, right? You, you can't. You can't leave here without somebody asking you, what's your name? How'd you find the church? Do you live here on island? What you got going on? And if you died today, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? You're just not gonna get out of here without somebody trying to ask those questions of you. And that's very healthy. You know why? Because we need to know people's spiritual state. 
Sometimes people come in and, they, and their first Sunday they say, hey, I'm here and I want to work with kids. Nope, not on my watch. I don't know you. I don't know nothing about you. And one of the most precious resources we have that God has given us is children. And the idea that we would hand those over to a stranger like you just doesn't add up. And so that for me is always a red flag. Why? Because I'm a pastor. And here's one of the things. As a pastor, I get the opportunity to preach. I love telling people what the Bible says. Uh, public speaking is one of the things that I like the least about my job. I love telling people what the Bible says and how to fix your problems from the Bible. But honestly, of the things that I get to do on a, on a weekly basis, public speaking is not my favorite because I'm a pastor. I wanna guide people into spiritual fruitfulness. I wanna help you to not wreck your life. I wanna help you to find the joy that God intends for your life. And I want more than anything in the world for Christ to be formed in you. I have a... Uh, a document that I go through, I call it a life plan uh, that I put together of like goals that I have or things that I want to accomplish in my life. And one of the, my, the things that I have that I want to accomplish in my life is I want people to one day say, I don't know what Jesus would like, but I, I would think that he's a lot like Anthony. And you look at that and you go, that's funny because we know you, right? I know, that's what I'm shooting for one day. I don't know what Jesus would like, but I imagine he's a lot like so-and-so. Could you say that about yourself? I think most of us will look at that and they go, well, that's almost a blasphemous statement to compare myself to Christ like that. I think it's the idea of Christ being formed in us. That Jesus was a lot like his committed followers. I think that's the idea behind it. I want that for myself. I'm not there yet, but I'm working that direction. But I want, I want that so badly for every single one of you. Every single one of you, if you've attended who we call uh, for more than a couple of weeks, your name is on a prayer list that I pray through every single day. I pray for you that, that God would bless your life, that God would give you the strength to go the distance in, in your faith with Christ and that Christ would be formed in you, that you'd be more like Jesus than you were this time last year. I'm always encouraged when people leave our church and give a testimony that I'm a stronger Christian now than I was when I came here. That means there's been growth in Christ-likeness in their life. That's an encouragement to me because that's the goal of our church. It's to point people to Christ so that they can be saved or can be like Jesus. That's it. That's why we exist. Very simple. You see, the, de the process for developing Christ-likeness in others is called discipleship. This idea of making radical followers of Jesus Christ is not something that's unique to our church. It's the heartbeat of the church for the last 2,000 years to help be people be committed followers of Jesus. And the process, that's called discipleship. And again, any church that is not reaching people with the gospel and any church that is not making disciples is not fulfilling the mission of the church. Simple as that. Now, every church might have a different way of doing discipleship, not that our way is, is better than anyone else's. Uh, for us, kind of our on-ramp to discipleship is a 14-week course uh, that's coming up on September the 25th that anyone is welcome to enroll in to learn what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. That's kind of the on-ramp. But discipleship doesn't stop when you finish the 14-week class. Carrie got her certificate today. We gave her our certificate. Everybody clap for her. She finished the course, but she hasn't finished being a disciple. That's gonna take the rest of her life. For Angela and I, Pat and Jane Smith uh, took us under their wing and loved on us and encouraged us for about six months and taught us what it meant to be real Christians. And, and guess what? Our discipleship didn't stop when we stopped hanging out with the Smiths. It has continued for the rest of our life. I'm still in discipleship. I'm still learning what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. But know this, if there hasn't been any growth in my life in the last 15 years, that's a problem because I'm not on the path of discipleship. 
And again, our discipleship course is just an on-ramp. It's not the completion. It's not the be-all, end-all. It's just a beginning point. It's a great beginning point. You've never gone through discipleship. I highly encourage you to. People that have been saved for decades go through our discipleship program and learn things about the Bible that they didn't know and become stronger in their faith as a result of it. I highly encourage you to do it. Highly encourage you. If you've been through discipleship, I encourage you uh, to take somebody else through the discipleship course as well. That's the next step, next level on making disciples now yourself. But discipleship, making disciples, that's Christ being formed in another person. Paul wants that for his church family, these bodies that he's been a part of in the past. I just want Christ to be formed in you. And again, if Christ is being formed in me, and then I'm taking what God's doing in my life and I'm passing it on to another person, that is the process of discipleship. We've, uh, for the last, uh, man, probably three months in our church, we've said goodbye to really good families just about every single week. Just about every week we've seen a really good, solid family that's come here. They've grown in their faith, uh, going somewhere. Uh, we, we've had three college students leave uh, this, this year and, and go to college on the mainland. Uh, we've had so many military families that have left, other people that have taken jobs on the mainland uh, and things like that. And I'm telling you this, if this was my church, I would hit the panic button right about now. I don't know what's going on. We got so many people leaving. What are we going to do? Hit the panic button. But here's the good news. This is not my church. It's Jesus' church. And he's going to handle all of it. All you and I have to do is be faithful and allow Christ to be formed in us. And sometimes people say, well, Pastor, are you concerned about our church? Or what do we do for church growth? Or what do we do to, to, to make sure people continue to come? Here's what I do know. Healthy things grow. Automatically. We don't have to create some culture that gets people to come, healthy things will automatically grow. You should, um, you should, probably shouldn't, but if you're ever bored one day and you want to study the church growth movement in America, it's, uh, it's scary stuff there. What do we need to do? We need to get big flashy bands up here. Uh, we need to teach messages that are what people want to hear. <laughs> I heard uh, uh, one pastor who's a uh, would be considered a uh, go-to leader in the church growth growth uh, ministries, uh, church growth movement. That's the word I was looking for. You should never give a message over 20 minutes because people don't have an attention span for that. Bro, I can't get a good introduction in in 20 minutes, you know? It's like, you're not gonna work for me. Simple as that. And here's the thing. If people come, they're like, well, people these days are just looking for a good 20-minute devotional thought. That's not what we do here. I'm not a devotional, motivational speaker. I'm a pastor who's called to preach the word of God. And that's what you're gonna get when you come here. And if it's an hour long, I'm not gonna apologize for preaching long. I've never in the history of our church ever apologized for preaching long. I might apologize that I took up a little bit more time than I should have, or maybe that you thought that I would. Thanks for your patience today. I went a little bit longer than I had anticipated, but I'm never sorry for preaching the word of God. It just is what it is. And if you got somewhere you gotta go, you might might just have to get up and leave. People do it all the time. It's fine. But here's the thing, I want Christ to be formed in you. How does that happen? By putting the word of God in you. And here's the thing, if we have God's word growing in us and Christ is being formed in us, we will grow spiritually and healthy things grow automatically. We've never in the history of who we call a Baptist church ever had a massive jump in attendance of like 50 people started coming this past Sunday and they never left. It's never happened here. You know what's happened? God's brought 
a family here, a family there, a couple of single adults here on this Sunday. You know, every single week since we started Who We Call, we've had first-time guests every single time, every single time, because God's at work here. He's doing something special here. We've seen growth here. Why? Because healthy things grow. Now, will there be a period of time where God has to prune some things and maybe uh, we don't see our attendance continue to go up and up and up? Absolutely. And understand here that the, the metric for growth is not Sunday morning attendance because I could point to a churches in America that have a thousand plus in attendance on Sunday that are not healthy churches. And, and be honest, if I wanted to get a thousand people in church next Sunday, you know what I should do? Give away a Cadillac Escalade. We'll get, we'll get people bustling at the seams here, right? For every person that you bring with you, you get three entries in the raffle for the Cadillac Escalade. If you're a first-time guest, you get 10 entries in the, the raffle for the Cadillac Escalade. Man, we have this place busting at the seams. Is that growth? Nope. Is it healthy? Nope. Because God brings growth in his time. And it happens as Christ is formed in us. And here's the thing. I would rather pastor 10 people that are sold out radical disciples of Jesus who are growing spiritually than 10,000 people who wanna show up for a motivational speech for the week. Any day, any day. And I said this morning, I have no desire to pastor a large church. I have a burning desire to pastor a, a group of people who are serious about their faith that can go out and change the world. I think that's the heart of Christ. That's the heart of Paul here, that Christ would be formed in them. Lack of growth, though, should cause us concern. If things aren't growing in our own life, we're not growing spiritually, that should bother us. If the last 12 months in your life, you haven't grown in your relationship with Christ, you've been stagnant or even fallen back in your relationship with Christ, that should cause you concern. But I hope you can look back and see continued progress. And again, we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for progress. We're looking for Christ-likeness, that Christ would be formed in us. Many of you were here uh, last, last year, probably last summer time frame, where we had gone, and again, it's, if somebody thinks it's all about numbers here at Huikala, you misunderstand the, the purpose of the story that I'm telling, but we had gone about 90 days here at Huikala where we had seen no one except Christ as Savior, and that bothered me. We'd seen people discipled in record numbers. We'd seen record number of baptisms last year up to that point. But we had a 90-day period where no one had gotten saved. And I just came up here on a Sunday night and said, guys, we had a dry spell for whatever reason, and we need to make sure and check our own hearts. Are we being faithful with the gospel? Is there sin in our lives that we need to confess? Is, is it something that we're not doing that we should be doing? And if, if we're doing everything we should, then we're just gonna wait on God to, to provide in his time but gang, if people are not being saved at who we call a Baptist church, we really need to step back and say, what, are we doing something wrong? And man, we did, we redoubled our efforts. We fasted, we prayed, we begged God and asked God to, to do something in our midst. And God brought a single lady who came here and got saved. And that kind of, um, I hate to use the, the term, but broke the streak, I guess you could say. But for us, we had, I think, I'll speak from my experience, I'd become accustomed to the fact that people are just gonna show up, they're gonna hear the gospel, they're gonna get saved. All we gotta do is show up and just do what we gotta do. But it came to a point where we realized we need to beg God for this. And if we're not seeing growth in our church family, if we're not seeing growth in our own lives, we need to step back and say, hey, this isn't okay. Hey, I'm concerned with this. And we need to look inward first. I need to look at my own heart first 
That's one of the things with the revival services. We're going to take a look at our own hearts first. You see, so often when things don't go the way that we think that they should or we don't see the results that we think that we should, we always point the finger somewhere else. It's never us. It's always somebody else. I'm always apprehensive when people come to who we call it from other churches and they say, well, I just wasn't being fed at that church or, you know, uh, there's lots of problems at that church and I wasn't able to grow. I realize that happens sometimes. But I've met Christians who the problem wasn't that church or the other church that they went to, the problem was them. But they weren't committed in their walk with Christ and they were looking for somewhere where they could just ride on somebody else's wake. Lost somebody else to, to pull the load and they just wanted to draft off the person in front of them. And oftentimes the problem wasn't that church or this church or the problem was in their own heart. Now, not to say that everybody who comes from another church is a problem with their heart. I'm saying that there's some crummy churches out there that aren't preaching the Bible. Guaranteed, guaranteed. If somebody comes from a church that's not preaching the Bible or hasn't been faithful to Christ or is, is going against and violating scripture, they should find a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. And I hope that this can be a home for people like that. But oftentimes I've seen people running from what is the real problem. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to start a diet and failed. I know I'm the only person in the room that's ever happened to. But every time it happens, you know what it is? It's my schedule's really busy. Um, I got out the other day and I had really good intentions, but I didn't have any food on me, so I had to go through the Panda Express drive-thru and get a double serving of orange chicken and rice and a little tote of fortune cookies along with that. I had to do it because I didn't have any other choices. I just don't have the time to, to stick to a nutrition plan right now. I don't have time to go. It's always somebody else's fault. It's never my, I'm just not disciplined enough to do it. And I just don't care enough. I never say that. And many times in our walk with God, it's just, I've been really busy lately. I haven't had time to get in the word because work is crazy right now. Yeah, but I see you on social media all the time. I see you hanging out with friends all the time on social media. I see you not in church, but at the beach. Where's the real problem? The problem, we always need to look with us first. That's why David said, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Kind of what Carrie's testimony said tonight. I was, always, I was looking at somebody else. It was their problem until I asked God to search my heart, and then I realized it was actually my problem. So we have to look inward first. If my, I'm not growing in Christ-likeness. What's my problem? Then we need to look outward secondly. Maybe I do need to look outward. Maybe I do need to look at the friends that I'm hanging out with. Maybe I do need to look at the company that I keep. Maybe I do need to look at maybe a schedule that's a little bit too demanding for me right now. And then people before who said, you know, I'm, I'm enrolling in such and such class full time and I'm, I'm going to, to, to work full time. I'm going to school full time. I'm trying to be a, a dad full time and be a Christian full time. And I said, you can't be four full time things. It just doesn't work. Maybe I just need to pick my priorities and find out what's really important to me. Maybe I need to look at the things around me and say, what is keeping me from being who I need to be in Christ? And again, taking a look at any sin or any weight that besets us and keeps us from growing in Christ-likeness. Take a look lastly, if you would, at verse number uh, 20 here. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt with you. Paul even recognized how we do in our modern day society where you have difficulty deciphering somebody's tone of voice in a text or an email. You go, did they really mean that like that? 
Have you ever had somebody send you an email or something, they put something in quotation marks, and you're like, are those smart aleck quotation marks that you're using there? Because I know you didn't just put that in quotation marks when they really didn't mean anything by it, but you read it, and you're like, oh, what were they trying to say there? Paul's saying, I wish I could have this conversation face-to-face with you because I would change my tone of voice here because I stand in doubt of you. I'm really concerned about you. I'm wondering where your priorities are at with this. And in, uh, in verse number uh, 11, Paul had even said this, I'm afraid, I'm worried that I've bestowed my labor on you in vain. I feel like I've, I put so much into you and it was for nothing. And he says, I'm concerned about you. And I wanna leave you with this thought. Evident love for other Christians affords us the platform to speak difficult truth into the life of others. I'll say it like this. If you know that I love you, I can say hard things to you. I saw a guy um, a couple of weeks ago at the mall. Used to be a faithful member of our church, no longer attends our church. I sat down with him and said, hey man, how's it going? He says, oh good, good to see you, pastor. Good to see you. Man, we miss seeing you around at church. Is everything good? Oh, everything's good, pastor. <sighs> okay, I'm worried about you. Haven't seen you. No, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good. Okay. I just feel like your heart's not with the Lord the way that it was before. I, yeah, I got some things going on. I'm working through it. Gave him a hug and told him I loved him. You know what? I could have a hard conversation with him because he knows that I love him. But it's like, hey, what's your name? You don't come to church enough. I don't even know what your name is, but uh, uh, you need to get, get in church. <laughs> Excuse me? Who do you think you are? You don't have a relationship with somebody. It's hard to speak truth into their lives. Can you imagine Jesus walking up to the well and seeing that Samaritan woman and go, you fornicator. I know what you've done. You're, you're a disgrace. Shameful you are. Shameful. You know what Jesus did? Hey, can I have a drink of water? She's like, well, hold up. Who are you, a Jew, asking me a Samaritan for a drink of water? He goes, no, can I have a drink of water? And she said, I guess. And he says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you'd be shocked. You would be shocked right now. And she's like, oh, really? Yeah, I can give you a water that you'll never have to drink ever again. She says, hey, give me this water. I'm gonna give it to you. I want you to go grab your husband, though, and let's have this conversation. Oh. I don't really have a husband. <laughs> you're, you're telling me? You've had plenty of husbands and the guy you're living with is not your husband. I perceive that you're a prophet. You think? What did he do? He established a relationship with her to say some really hard things that he needed to say. Well, you know, our folks say that you should worship over here and Jesus said that you should worship over there. What do you think? Jesus says, hey, where you worship is not the issue. Who you worship is the big issue. And he confronted her with a truth that would change her life. Why? Because he had a relationship with her. Paul here, as he writes to these people, they know Paul's love for them, and Paul knows their love for him. He says in, in previous verses here, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me because you love me so much. And you know that I love you, but I'm worried about you. I'm concerned. And if I could be there right now, I would give you a stern talking to because I'm worried about you. Come back. 
don't want anything from you. I just want Christ to be formed in you. I don't need anything from you. I just want you to be like Jesus. Some people had made accusations against Paul that Paul wanted people's money. That Paul was just in it for himself. That Paul wanted fame and fortune, wanted to be the man. Paul says, I don't want any of that. I don't need anything from you. As he wrote in 2 Corinthians, he says, I, I didn't even need money from you, but you sent it to me and I was thankful for it. But I didn't need it from you. In this case here, he says, I don't want anything from you. I just want Christ to be formed in you. That's it. And me, as your pastor here tonight, you know what I want for you more than anything in the world? For Christ to be formed in you. If you call yourself a child of God, live like a child of God. If you are a son or daughter of God, live like a son or daughter of God. I talked with a man this morning who had put his faith and trust in Christ as a 10-year-old boy but hadn't walked in his faith since then. He says, I've done some things that, that aren't right, and I know I need to make those right with God. I said, you're right, you do. I said, but know this, if you're a child of God, you'll forever be a child of God, but right now you're a disobedient, rebellious child. Disobedient, rebellious child. You need to make things right with your heavenly father and come back to a right relationship with him. And he was like, you're right. I said, the only reason I'm telling you that is because I care about you. I wanted him to know what I'm telling you is hard. I'm not judging you or saying you're a terrible human being, but I want you to know I care about you enough to say that to you. As your pastor, I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you to be able to stand. My job as a pastor is to have every single person that God has given me the ability to influence to be prepared for the day that you stand before God with joy. That's my job to prepare you for the day that you stand before God that you can stand there with joy. Can you imagine standing before God going, God, I can't believe I'm here. Oh, you're everything that I had anticipated and more. This moment is everything that I lived my life for. God, I wasn't perfect, but I did my best. And he says, well done, my good and faithful son. Welcome home, I'm glad you're here. I can't imagine what that moment will be, but I think about it every day every day. I think about times in my life, though, that I wasn't walking with Christ. I was a child of God, but I wasn't walking with Christ. That if I had stood before God, I would have stood there with my head in my hands, embarrassed to be in God's presence. I don't deserve to be here. I haven't lived what I should. You expected more of me. I failed you, and I'm, I feel miserable standing here. I, I think of times in my life where I felt that way, and God's given me the responsibility to help you to stand before God one day going, I don't deserve to be here, but praise God by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm here. I wasn't perfect, but I lived my life in a way that would honor you and please you. And God, I wanted nothing more than to be here on this day and to see God with joy. Do you know how we get there? By Christ being formed in us. Day after day, week after week, month after month. I hope people that haven't seen you in maybe 10 years or so probably wouldn't recognize you because of the changes that God's brought in your life. You know, some of our folks are getting ready to go back to their hometown, haven't been there in several years. I hope when they get there, people are like, oh, you're different people. I don't even know you people because of what God's done in your life. Several years ago, I talked to a friend that I haven't talked to in over 20 years from high school. He goes, I can't believe of all people in the entire world, you're a pastor. It blows my mind. Yeah, that's something only God could do. Why? Because Christ is being formed in me. And I want that for you as well. Maybe there's something right now that's keeping you from growing in Christ-likeness. Maybe there's sin in your life. 
Maybe there's something that you need to confess and make right with God. Maybe there's something that, that you know is the roadblock of Christ-likeness in your life. Confess that tonight. Again, if we truly want revival in our church, it requires everybody to be gut-level honest with God. Maybe it's no major sin. It's just apathy. You just don't care for the things of God. Maybe you just don't have an appetite for the things of God. Maybe the things that used to be appealing to you in your walk with Christ just aren't there anymore. Confess it. Make it right with God tonight and move forward. Man, some of you might be sitting here tonight going, Pastor, everything's good between me and God. I'm, I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my entire life. Pray that that would continue and pray for God to search your heart. Because generally when I think I'm good with God and I ask him to search my heart, he'll point out some things no matter how small they are. Just need a little bit of tweak, a little bit of change. I encourage you to do that tonight. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.